morning, everybody. Got to deal with me again this week. So uh, we're in First Corinthians chapter one. Uh, Pastor Scotty started our uh, series last week, and just quick little backdrop. Uh, originally, this letter was written to Paul. He's in, uh, we think, Ephesus at the time. And they write to him with a question about a, a theological issue uh, to do with marriage. And in true preacher form, he finally gets around to answering the question around chapter 7 of the, of the letter. Um, in the process, though, of writing this letter, they gave Paul you know, kind of an update of how things were going in Corinth in this church that he had planted um, you know, sometime earlier. And it's not great. He's not pleased with the, the report he gets. One thing he does do, though, and this is a good uh, technique. Some of you, if you've been in, you know, for like performance reviews at work or something, you've probably ran into this where they do the, the compliment sandwich, you know what I'm talking about, where they say something nice to, you know, this is a good thing about you, you know, to get you comfortable for the real reason we're in this conversation, you know, the hard stuff you didn't want to hear. And then there's another compliment so that you don't hate them as you walk out the door. Uh, and it's not not a bad technique. He, he kind of opens this letter that way. He starts out, hey, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great way to start any interaction. Grace and peace. Right? And he says, I, you know, I thank my God always for you. Uh, he points out that you're not lacking in any gift, um, which is actually an issue he's going to deal with later in the letter that just because gifts are present doesn't mean they're being utilized properly. And, uh, you know, so he, he starts off on a good foot. Uh, and it's, it's not a bad technique. It's something that maybe you should think of before you have a difficult conversation with someone is to uh, go into it with grace and peace. You know, know that I'm for you. I'm doing this because I love you and that kind of thing. So if you're familiar, though, at all with this letter, you know that uh, there were all sorts of issues. Right? There was a mess, that, like the series title. Uh, that that needed to be dealt with. There were people having affairs in the church. Well, not hopefully not in the church, but you know, people were having affairs. Uh, there was um, there were all sorts of arguments and, and uh, divisions over how church service should look, how we're to do things. Um, there were people actually suing each other, so there were like legal issues. People were acting more like the world than they were like Jesus. You know, like pretty much every church everywhere for all time. We like to look down our nose at the church at Corinth and we're like, look at all the wicked things that went on there. And I'm like, yeah, those things happen anywhere where sinful people are gathered together. Uh, and so that's every church. And so I just want to kind of get that out in the open that, you know, I, I've been in ministry for uh, longer than some of you have been alive. Uh, but... Uh, I am fully cognizant and aware of the wrinkles and warts in the body of Christ, you know, that there are uh, issues. And if you start focusing on other people's shortcomings, you will definitely notice more shortcomings. Those of you that are married, you probably know how this works, right? You get annoyed with your spouse, and before long, everything they do is annoying. Right? You can, there are plenty of shortcomings to be found. Um, and, but we all probably know someone who 
who says, you know, I'm never going to go to church again because uh, it's full of hypocrites. And I'm like, you're right. It is. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the one who kind of started using that word to describe what us hypocrites look like uh, and how we act. And so, you know, just to be clear, we never claim here to be uh, a bunch, anything other than a bunch of broken people coming to hear about the one who can you know, put us back together. Uh, and so I don't know about you, but I'm here because I need Jesus. Uh, I don't, I'm not coming, you know, I'm not perfect and I come to church to maintain my perfection. I wish it worked that way. But uh, we're here, you know, because we all need Jesus. And so one of the issues that uh, he Paul's addressing uh, in this chapter is some of the things he saw in the church were, you know, division um, and conflict. And those are things that still rear their head in the church today and in our homes and our families and our country. So I think it's something that hopefully we can all take a little something uh, home with us about. So before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us understand it. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning for giving us another opportunity to gather together freely, uh, that we can worship you, we can sing songs, we can pray together. But most importantly, Lord, we have free and easy access to your holy word. We can gather together and study it without fear of real persecution. And Lord, we know that uh, your word still changes hearts and minds. And Lord, we pray uh, this morning that you would just help us to discern the truth in your word and, and be changed by it, that we would leave here knowing you better and knowing who we are in you because of that. But Lord, we know we're also very fallible, and so anything that we get incorrect, we just pray you wipe that from our minds, replace it with a zeal to come back again and discover the truth in your word. We pray for your blessing on the message and your people in Jesus' name. Alright, so we're in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, is where we're picking up. Earlier this week, I was uh, working with my, my youngest son, Oren, on, on some math. He's still young enough that I can actually help with math. Uh, my, old, my older kids, I'm like, good luck. I, you're asking me for help with calculus, and, and you're in the wrong place. Um, but we were working on long division, and, uh, and he was kind of struggling on one of them, and, and my wife came in, and you know, we're trying to word it in a way that it'll click for him. And, and something she said I thought was pretty profound. And she said, well, division is just multiplication backwards. It didn't actually help him, but I thought that's a profound thing. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, when something multiplies, it grows, right? That's, and, and division is, is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of growth. It's the opposite of maturity. Uh, and so it's something Paul's going to address here. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that's a mouthful. First of all, he says, you know, I, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us, hey, the main thing, Right? The reason we're even talking, the reason we're together, the reason uh, for this letter is Jesus Christ. Right? We're, we're united by his name and his authority because he says the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He's not just a figure, he is king. Right? We're agreeing that this is our Lord, this is our king. 
And so if that's not, if we're not on the same page with that, nothing else is going to jive. Nothing else is going to flow right. So let's get that, make the main thing the main thing. But he also says this, he says, now I exhort you, brethren, or your Bible may say, um, I plead with you. And he uses an interesting word here, it's, uh, it's perkaleo, and it's, uh, it's used in a lot of ways. It means to, to comfort, to encourage, to, to call alongside, uh, to bring near. Um, basically, he says, I'm, I'm putting my arm around you, right? He's saying, you know, come here. Stand with me. We're in this together. And I want to encourage you about this one thing. Now, like I said, that word's used in a lot of different ways. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus uses this word. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's talking about going up, to, you know, ascending to heaven. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that's the same word, right? The comforter, the Holy Spirit, is what he's talking about. Uh, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Another time, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it's used this way. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, and again, using the same word, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he says, I want to comfort you. I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you have an advocate. I am for you. I am you know, even if it doesn't feel like it, even though the words that are going to come next may sting, just know that I am for you. Right? And that's important no matter what relationship. When you have to have a difficult conversation, uh, no one cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. You know, you've, you've got to let them know, look, I am bringing this up not to just criticize you, not because I'm always right and you're always wrong. It's because I love you. I want what's best for you. And so, we'll go back to that verse again, verse 10. Paul uses, he uses three different um, phrases to describe what he sees lacking, right, what we need, uh, and that's unity. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division. And this word, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, where we get the word schism. Uh, it's, uh, it basically means to, to tear or to rend, uh, to tear apart. But its main meaning is to break a bone. Because you're the body of Christ, and I don't want a bone broken. Right? Where I don't know if you've ever broken a bone. I think I have more bones that have been broken than bones that haven't. But there are bones that you think are not important until you break them. You break your finger, and all of a sudden you can't do anything. Right? You can't buckle your belt or put on your pants or brush your teeth right. You ever try to brush your teeth with the opposite hand? It's, it's like it was from another body or something. <laughs> he says, I, I want there to be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same way. Some of you probably grew up with this one picture on the wall. A lot, I think Home Interior sold it a lot, but it was a picture of Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders. You ever seen that? Beautiful picture. 
But if you know the story behind it, it's a very violent picture. The idea is that uh, a good shepherd, which is who he is, if he has a lamb that continues to stray for its own good, he takes his staff and uses it as a rod. He breaks that, that lamb's leg for its own good. Because what happens next is he he doesn't abandon it. He picks the lamb up and carries it on his shoulder while the while the leg heals. While it's healing, the lamb gets used to the smell of the shepherd and feels his pulse and gets more and more acquainted with his voice. And by the time he's healed, that lamb will never stray again. It will always be. I always know where it's shepherd is. And Paul says, I, look, I, I want there to be no divisions, no broken bones, but that you be made complete, that that bone be healed. Right? Uh, if you don't allow that broken bone to heal correctly, you're going to be limping through every relationship from that point forward. And we all have that, right? We all have that baggage that we carry into relationships. You've got, you got to come to the shepherd and let this be healed the right way so you're not limping forever. But he says, I also want you to be united in mind and judgment. It's basically the, the, the picture of like what happens with parents or what's supposed to happen, right? That we can disagree and we will disagree on things. But when it comes to the kids, when we have to face these little monsters, we are a united front. Uh, we love our kids, but there are times where, uh, you know, we have to make sure they know that mom and dad are on the same page about this. You can't pull the, well, I ask dad, which is what my kids do, and uh, and they know that I half the time don't know what's going on, so they, you know, they can get away with stuff. So we have to be, you know, present a united front. Even if we still have some things we're disagreeing about, when it comes to the main thing, dealing with this issue, we're going to be together. Right? Verse 11, he says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, uh, that there are quarrels among you. And Chloe, near as we can tell, was uh, uh, probably a businesswoman, a woman with business interests who sent you know servants from her home to Ephesus, and that's how the letter got to them. Verse 12, he says, Now I mean this. This is what the quarrels are. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollo, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. The people are, they're picking their allegiance, right? This is my guy, and your guy is not as good as my guy. So first, you know, there are people that are, they're, they're like, I am of Paul. Paul planted this church. He lived here for a year and a half with us. We're going to follow in the footsteps of the man who founded our church, and we're going to keep it the way we found it. Which is what a lot of us do, right? We, our idea of the perfect church is whatever a church was like when we first started enjoying church, right? And then it just needs to stay that way. I get it. Like, I, personally, 90s grunge should still be, like, the really popular. You know, that, that was uh, my preference. But he says, some of them are, you know, making allegiance with me. Then he mentions another guy, Apollos. Uh, we first encounter him in Acts 18, but every mention we get of him, it's, it's pretty clear this guy was a gifted speaker, a very dynamic speaker. He's a preacher, young preacher from Alexandria. And uh, apparently, though, he didn't have his theology, you know, all, all 
altogether correct. His doctrine was a little off. We see um, where Paul's friends, Priscilla and uh, Aquila, had to take him aside and fill him in on some details. So basically you've got this young, dynamic, um, charismatic pastor or preacher who's got a little work to do theologically. And so there are people that are like, hey, we're all behind. The, the new guy is more dynamic. He's energetic. He's impressive. And, yeah, he's going to get some stuff wrong, but that's okay. He's, you know, he's uh, engaging. Then he mentions Cephas. Now, we just finished studying first and second Peter. That's who he's talking about is Peter. But Cephas is his Aramaic or, you know, Hebrew name. And I think that's not an accident that that's how he is addressed here. Now, we don't know that Peter ever visited uh, Corinth, but I think there were people who were like, hey, Peter was, you know, he was one of the first apostles. He, you know, there's that whole thing about God, uh, Jesus giving him the keys to the kingdom, and, and he was a Jew, right? So he, and early on in, in Peter's ministry, we see that he struggled with being legalistic and wanting people to follow the law until God set him straight. And so there were probably people there that were like, you know, we're going to stick close to our Hebrew roots. We're, you know, yes, we're saved by faith, but you've got to do these things to really, you know, be in good grace. And then the last one that sounds the most spiritual is, well, I am of Christ. Right? That sounds right, right? We're supposed to follow Jesus and nobody else. But they were being kind of prideful, I think. These were people that were like, I listen to no man. I, it's just me and Jesus, and I don't need anybody to help me read, understand the Bible. I just know it all myself, and doctrine doesn't matter anyway. Now that's a that's a dangerous way to uh, to approach it. Either way, there's no indication that any of these uh, the people mentioned here uh, encouraged that or desired people to follow me over him or you know lift him up over me. But it happened. And I would venture to say that uh, you know, John Calvin and Martin Luther and, and John Wesley would be appalled to know that there are people today who are like, you know, you're not really a Christian if you're not a Wesleyan or a Lutheran or a Calvinist or whatever. Be, all three of those men would rather you follow Jesus. And then, you know, hopefully the things that they learned and wrote down could help you understand him more. So Paul makes it clear, though, that that kind of thing... Uh, being more concerned with what denomination you're from, or, you know, I only come to church if Pastor Chris is preaching, or Scotty's preaching, or whatever. That kind of thing is immaturity, he says. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4, we're going to skip forward a little bit. He says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Because that's... When you find yourself tempted to talk with other people about, you know, how much better your favorite preacher is, than theirs, or how, how much better your favorite politician is than theirs, uh, that's carnal. That's not that's not a spiritual thing. That's a prideful thing. That's, you, you, you've lost the main thing. Go back. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. Says, Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is Christ divided? Some people would be shocked to learn that Jesus uh, 
would not be a card-carrying Republican or Democrat. Right? Uh, and he just as easily accepts the worship of a Baptist as he does a Pentecostal. Those divisions are things that we've made, not what he's about. I heard the story one time of an old cranky guy that you know he would go from church to church trying to find the one true church. Uh, which, incidentally, if you ever see a church that has the sign of, you know, the one true whatever, it ain't, right? Okay. But he, he went from church to church, and he would always find something, you know, to be cross about. And then uh, one of his friends hadn't seen him for a while. He finally runs into him, and he says, well, how's that search going? He says, well, I finally found the one true church. Says, Great. Where, where do they meet? He says, well, they meet at my house. He says, Wow. So it's a church plant. How many people are coming? Well, so far it's just me and my wife, and I'm not not sure about her. Paul says, did any of these men die for you? Were you baptized in their name or in Jesus? Because getting our priorities out of it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, before Jesus' crucifixion, we, we see the scene where he's praying for uh, you know, the, the, the disciples that are closest to him. He's praying for the, the early launch of the church. And then he prays for you. Do you know that Jesus prayed for each and every one of us? John 17, verse 20. This is what he prayed. He says, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, the, you know, the, the 12, the disciples. Says, but also for those who will believe in me through their words that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus said that the way the world would know we are his disciples is by our love for one another. And then he prayed that another way we would be identified is by our unity. Unfortunately, that's not generally the case. Right? The, the Christians are not known for how well we all get along with each other. But basically, I think in the, in the church, uh, there are basically three main types of disagreement. And they vary in importance. Right? First, you've got like, the completely non-important opinion stuff. Uh, can you love Jesus and vote Republican? Or can you love Jesus and vote Democrat? And people have their opinions about that, but that's what they are. Uh, even on the, you know, on the on the practical scale, uh, what's the most important political issue facing our country right now? Everyone has their opinion, and you're entitled to it. Uh, could, is it that you know? Should your kids go to public school or private school or homeschool? You're free to have your opinion. Then there's interpretive stuff. This starts to get a little bit more important, but still, this is things like, uh, can a woman be a pastor? Or is baptism by sprinkling or being dunked in the water or what? You know, those are things that we can look at the scripture and we can, be, and you know, it's about our interpretation. Uh, you know, it, when does the rapture happen? Is there a rapture? That kind of stuff. And then we get to essential doctrine. These are the things that uh, are just foundational to our faith, that we have to be 
one. We have to be united on this. Things like there is one God in three persons, right? There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus died, as we sang earlier, on a criminal's cross in our place, and he rose again. That is an essential truth. That we can spend eternity with him by faith. That if we trust him for eternal life, we have it. That is an essential truth. And he's coming again. We can argue about when and how that's going to look and all that, but he's coming again because he said he was. That's an essential truth. My point in all this is that we can disagree on things without dividing. Right? There's, there are things uh, that I'm very convinced of that you may disagree with, and I give you the freedom to be wrong. Right? We, can, we can disagree on those things without having to divide. Right? Uh, there's a, an old expression, throw it up there, that uh, people uh, attribute this to different folks. Some say Augustine, maybe. Uh, but it's this, in essentials, unity, and non-essential liberty in all things charity. Look, if there's a view that you have uh, that is not an essential biblical foundational truth, and it's interfering with your ability to love someone, that's a problem, and it's a you problem. Uh, you know, we can, we can learn about love and talk about love, but if it, it doesn't mean a thing unless we practice this stuff. Right? Uh, and especially when we practice it with someone we don't agree with, with someone who is not just like me. There's a, um, one of the things we try to teach people as they get involved in our worship team uh, is this, that practice is personal. Rehearsal is relational. In other words, you practice at home. That's where you go and you learn your part. Right? And then when we gather together, everybody should know their part, and we see how all those parts fit together and make, hopefully, beautiful music. Right? And it's the same whether you're involved in music or not. That same truth should hold up, right? That practice is personal. You, you study the Word, you know, fill your brain with the truth, but it doesn't mean anything until you go and apply it you know, you put it to work through relationships with other people. Go on, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christus and Gaius. Christus, we think, was one of the rulers of the, the synagogue when Paul first got to Corinth uh, before Sosthenes. I think we talked about him last week, right? Um, and it would have been a, a big deal to people that knew uh, knew him, because he this is a you know a leader in the Jewish community who has just been baptized as a Christian, and it would have had a big impact. And he says, "I baptized these couple of guys." Verse fifteen he says, uh, "So that no one would say you were baptized in my name." Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. That's, that was a hot 
hot-button statement to Paul. He's, he's not saying baptism is of no value and doesn't matter, but he's putting it in its proper place. And I bring this up because this is one of the things that people today do that I am of Paul and I am of Apollos thing. They say, well, you know, you have to be baptized to be saved. You have to be baptized in my church to be saved. You have to be baptized a certain way to be saved. And it's people making divisions that aren't there in the Bible. Um, we're going to take a look. I, I get how some people arrive at those conclusions. We're going to take a look at it real quick. Acts 2, verse 37. This is Peter. He's preaching to a, a crowd of Jewish people who've just heard the gospel. And they, they ask him a question. Right? They respond to it. He says, now when they heard this, he, you know, he just told them about, hey, we crucified the king that we were waiting on. And, you know, it, it, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, you might want to underline line that in your Bible, the remission of sins. And you shall not receive, or and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, at first glance, it can sound like he's saying you have to be baptized to be saved. But Peter is just laying out the the tapestry of what salvation looks like, right? And that, like I said, he that you have to pay special attention to that word for. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It's not because of, it is in order that. Or it's because of, not in order that. I got that backwards. <laughs> um, think of it this way. If I present you with a medal of honor, or, or medal for bravery, it is not so that now you can go be brave. Right? This medal is because of bravery. Because you've already, it's already happened. Right? It, and it's a recognition of it. And Peter is saying, because your sins have been paid for, be baptized. It's easy to forget that earlier, he had already said this to that same crowd. In Acts 2, verse 21, he says, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. He's already told them that the way you're saved is you trust Jesus for eternal life. That's it. It's, it's by faith. It's and then the repenting and the being baptized stuff, is, these are practical steps that are part of what your life should look like after you've had that moment of faith. So to, to clarify it, right, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but you do need to be saved to be baptized. Right, because it is an outward sign of something that's already taken place, that I'm being joined to Jesus. This is where my allegiance lies. Just like a wedding, um, you're not married by wearing the white dress and everybody, you know, eating bad food or whatever. It's, you know, it's when you, you make that agreement and the, the certificate is signed. But still, we want to see it, or some of you do. I can't stand weddings. Nobody wants to be there on a Saturday and eat bad food. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but that is an outward sign of something that's already taken place. In Acts uh, chapter 8, we've got this story of the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's walking along. 
Jonathan's reading from Isaiah, and uh, Philip comes up alongside him. He says, you know, you understand what you're reading? And he says, yeah, is it he's talking about himself or someone else? And, and he begins to explain the gospel to him through Scripture. And this eunuch believes. He, he believes the gospel. And as they're walking along, they see a body of water, like, I don't know, is a pond or mud puddle or what. And he says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip's response is, if you believe with all your heart, you may. If you, you believe the gospel, let's get you done. And that happened almost immediately after his conversion. In the West, in the American church, we've kind of gotten it all twisted up. Like, I know people who, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years, but I'm still not sure about getting baptized. That's, you know, what do you, you can't get more saved, okay? Um, You should just get it done. Uh, In the early church, the idea of a Christian who's not been baptized, that would have been a rare thing. Because it was supposed to be an outward sign of something that already took place. Not don't you know don't overthink the thing. So I'm not saying if you are a Christian and you've not been baptized that we're all judging you and shame on you. I am saying, however, what are you waiting for? Right, we have a tank over there. We can get it done. Uh, we offer um, the first Sunday of every month uh, baptism. The, only, the hard part is you have to meet with Ben. I'm <laughs> teasing. No, you know, uh, let's go back and read that verse again. First Corinthians 1, verse 17. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Now, that's something that's going to be the topic of next in, in next week's message with Pastor Chris. He's going to talk about wisdom of the world versus uh, uh, wisdom of God. This is not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Like, if you tell people you have to believe and then do some whatever, do some things, you've just added work to the gospel. You've just diminished the power of the cross. The cross is what saves us. It is our faith and the work that Jesus did on the cross. Uh, when you mix grace and work, you get poison. You get bupkis. The way I always like to put it is if you go to the, the very tip-to-top peak of a mountain, and then you take another step. Where are you going? Are you going further up the mountain? No, you're fall, you're you're in trouble, right? You're falling down. You can't get more perfect. Right? The gospel is the pinnacle, and uh, when we add anything to it, it's just dangerous. All right. So all that stuff aside, what's the practical takeaway? What can we do with all this? So as as sinful people, um, we tend to see disagreement as personal attack. Right? We take stuff personally and make it something that's not supposed to be. So I'm just throwing out some questions to run through in your mind. Next, when, you, when you encounter a disagreement this week, because it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen today. Uh, is this an issue of eternal importance? Right? Is this an essential or is this an opinion thing? Uh, have I brought this to God in prayer? Here's a hard one. Is it possible that my ego might be getting in the way? Might be 
what's controlling me right now rather than God's spirit. Because, you know, we like to think our preferences should be applied to everyone. Um, is the reward worth the risk? Is it worth potentially really damaging my relationship with this person to prove that I'm right? You know, am I being provoked? Um, am I being driven by my hurt feelings or by God's Spirit? All those things. But simply put, like, would Jesus spend time on this? If not, it may not be worth all the trouble. So, here's what we're going to hopefully do this week. Keep the main thing the main thing. Right? You're going to encounter some stress with another person. And what is the main thing? What's the important thing? Is it that you win? Or is that that you show the love of Christ? Is it that you, you uh, get your opinion across? Or that Christ is glorified? Or as Jesus put it, it's this. Here's the main thing. Right? Love God and love people. That's it. Everything else, we can work through. Alright, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this morning that uh, your word is still living and active, changing hearts and lives. And God, we know that uh, there's division in the church, in our country, in our homes. That's not your will for us. You want us to be united, to, that we're better together. Lord, we just prayed this morning that we would apply what we've read about today, that we would, we would seek to glorify you rather than to, uh, rather than to pad our ego. Lord, the things that we've been taking personally, we just pray that your spirit would work with our hearts and help us to see if we've just been oversensitive, is it a real uh, real thing worth dividing over? Lord, help us to be loving and forgiving as you are. So God, you know that um, we fall short of it, so we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would be gracious and merciful with us and continue to draw us closer to you. Lord, above all these things, we just pray for your will to be done in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church and in our country and our world. And we pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people come. Amen. All right. Ready?